0: Hi, my name is Danielle, and you're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. On this podcast, we discuss subjects that might be creepy to some, and sometimes even frightening. Some of our episodes will deal with serious subject matter, while others will be more lighthearted. Please keep in mind that I am not an expert on any of the topics I cover, just an interested party, and as always, listener discretion is advised. Hi everyone, and welcome back. You're listening to Crime and Mystery Canada. I'm Danielle, and tonight I'm here with Corey. Hello. Thank you so much to everyone that's been listening so far. I just wanted to tell people that are listening that I really appreciate everyone that's taking the time to download the podcast every week. If you like what you're hearing, and you could find the time to give us a review or recommend us to a friend, that would be great. Tonight, we're back with another full-length episode, and we're talking about the Toronto hospital baby deaths. Now, I consider myself maybe not very knowledgeable of true crime, but I'm quite interested in it, obviously. Sometimes I wonder why I'm so intrigued by this type of thing, and at the end of the day, I think it's a way to battle anxiety and the unknown. If I know what the worst possible thing that could happen is, then I'll be prepared when bad things happen. Or that's how I kind of think about it logically, I guess.
1: I think that makes sense.
0: And the reason I'm saying all of this is because I do tend to read about true crime quite a bit. And even before I had this podcast, that was the case. And I would occasionally fall down a rabbit hole uh, when I was looking up a particular case. But the case I'm talking about tonight had somehow never come across my radar. And I can't understand why I had never heard of it before. This case takes place at the Toronto Hospital for Sick Children. This hospital, which is commonly known as Sick Kids, is a major pediatric teaching hospital in Toronto, Ontario. I think most Canadians are familiar with the hospital. Uh, Have you heard of it before? No. Sick Kids? No. No, It's it's one of the big pediatric hospitals in Canada.
1: Okay.
0: It actually started in 1875, and it was established in in an 11-room house. Wow. It was started by a Bible study group that was led by a woman named Elizabeth McMaster, according to Wikipedia. In 1891, the hospital moved into a building at College and Elizabeth Street, and that's where it remained for about 60 years. And then in 1971, the hospital moved to what is still its present location on University Avenue in Toronto. The Toronto Hospital for Sick Children is world-renowned, And it became a leader in promoting milk pasteurization about 30 years before it became mandatory. The hospital has led the way in the discovery of insulin. Dr. Frederick Banting had been an intern there, and later he'd been an attending physician. But for all its world-renowned success, there was a very dark spot in its history that took place in the 1980s.
1: I don't, yeah, I haven't heard of this. I think I might have heard of it now that I think about it, but...
0: Of the hospital? Yeah. Or the...
1: I mean, I'm pretty in the dark on this kind of stuff, I think.
0: I think for most people, if you've known someone with a sick child or had one in the family, it's often, I mean, it is the place where they take care of very sick children. They have the best physicians. So that's usually how it comes across people's radars that way.
1: Well, I've been to Toronto twice in my life and that's it. And pretty much haven't left the maritime provinces that much so for me it's always the iwk
0: yeah that is our big children's hospital in i think in atlantic canada
1: yeah
0: between june 1980 and march 1981 the rate of baby deaths in the sick kids cardiac unit spiked 625 percent what according to a 2011 mclean's article wow when autopsies were performed on the babies, it was concluded that they had dangerous levels of a drug called digoxin in their system. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing this right.
1: You are not a doctor, so
0: I'm not a doctor or a pharmacist, but I think it's everybody spelled. Can cut you a break. <laughs> it's spelled D-I-G-O-X-I-N, so digoxin. Sure. Basically, when the deaths spiked, in the beginning, the hospital administration was actually just talking about maybe expanding the cardiac unit in the hospital, thinking they were just getting more cases than what they could actually handle. I guess after it spiked so much, they realized they might have something more than sort of natural deaths happening there.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty big jump to just assume you have more cases.
0: That many more, all in a very short period of time. According to WebMD, The medication digoxin can be used to treat heart failure as well as some types of irregular heartbeat. So on one side, it doesn't sound necessarily odd that that drug was present on the cardiac unit or that the children had it in their system if they have cardiac problems, but it's just the levels that were detected were so high. They ruled the deaths as digoxin poisoning. When the baby deaths started spiking and coming to the attention of the hospital administrators, all the nurses on the on the wards were temporarily relieved of their duties according to a U Calgary Prism article. They then called the police in to investigate. I find it interesting that and this might just be an oversight on the information that's available but that all the nurses were relieved of their duties in
1: no doctors?
0: Exactly. That's strange, isn't it? Well,
1: they probably would...
0: I know the doctors don't tend to administer the the drugs as often, but I feel like it's not impossible.
1: No, not impossible, but also the doctors could probably carry on with treatment without them to some extent. Obviously, pushing the boundaries of their capabilities, but at the same time, like you could probably function without nurses for a little while. I would think if there's any um, cases or incidences while the nurses are on leave, then they would know it's not a, like a process of elimination, I guess? I
0: understand what you're saying, but I do think it would be very hard to carry on without nurses because the doctors come and give their, their orders not ordering people around, but literally like write their orders as to how to treat the patients and look up on them, then the nurses are the ones that carry all of this out. I suspect part of it, too, is that there's probably many more nurses than there are doctors, so if you relieve a group of nurses, you can probably bring more in Hmm. more easily than you can bring doctors. Or there
1: could be some kind of sexist political uh, element as well.
0: Right. One nurse in particular came to the investigator's attention Her name was Susan Nels, and she seemed to be the common thread in many of the baby deaths, having worked on the nights the babies died. Because of everything that was going on, Nels knew she was going to be questioned by the police, and she actually talked to her roommate about it. Her roommate happened to be in law school at the time, and she actually advised her to seek legal counsel before being questioned
1: by the police. Wow, that looks suspicious. it is still a good idea.
0: Exactly, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Asking for a lawyer is your legal right, but is often seen as a sign of yeah, guilt. it
1: just puts a target on your back, really.
0: And for law enforcement that was investigating these deaths, this is exactly how they saw things. So she was the only nurse of the group that got a lawyer, and immediately, wow. because they were already suspicious of her, I think that just sort of pushed them even further. Nobody, had,
1: nobody else had like roommates that were studying law. It's probably just a coincidence, right? She
0: had someone close to her she could talk to and followed their recommendation. And looking at the case in hindsight, after what happened to her, you would be like, I think they all should have gotten a lawyer. But at the time, you don't have that that hindsight to look back on to. So Nels was arrested and charged with the deaths. And apparently when that happened, babies stopped dying at such an alarming rate which probably made her look even more suspicious. But at the time of Nell's arrest, there was also several changes in protocol on the cardiac unit, and these could explain why the baby stopped dying. Nell's case never went to trial and was actually thrown out by a judge who stated that there was a lack of evidence. It was also discovered that Nels had actually swapped a lot of her shifts with co-workers. So on the nights where it looked like she was working and that babies had died, she wasn't even there at all.
1: But yeah, they're using like paper schedules and everything in those days. You switch shifts, it's not jotted down. They would have to probably look through like administrative paperwork to see who's signing off on things. But yeah, without any real digging, like, oh, we have a suspect, I can see how they'd miss that.
0: Yeah, I think it is the police's job to actually dig into it, especially yeah. when you're talking about something that serious is a really high number of children dying. But I think also they were probably feeling very pressured and rushed to come up with a suspect. Yeah,
1: it's a pretty problematic case. I would think that they'd be really trying to put the thumbscrews in to sort of get somebody nailed for this one.
0: And it just, it never went anywhere because as soon as the judge saw the evidence, he said, or the lack thereof, he said that there wasn't enough and threw the case out. There was also some talk of basically more than one nurse being involved so that when Nels was off, someone else was doing it. And this is according to Wikipedia. But a full conspiracy between several nurses, it just seems like too much of a stretch of the imagination. Like you hear about those angels of death their nurses or home care workers and things like that that end lives of people or children they believe are sick but having more than one acting together would be very strange.
1: Yeah, I've only ever heard cases of like one person.
0: Yeah, an individual. An inquiry into the Toronto Hospital for Sick Children's deaths was launched. This inquiry was called the Grange Inquiry um because it was presided by Judge Samuel Grange. And they delved into the cases a little bit more. He concluded that eight babies were killed by digoxin toxicity and 15 other deaths were deemed suspicious. But the judge presiding the inquiry also added that Nels had done nothing wrong by seeking legal counsel, as was her right. And again, there was very little evidence pointing towards her. Really nothing more but circumstantial evidence. So despite the fact that he did see the deaths as suspicious, he didn't believe that the evidence against Nels was enough to bring her to trial.
1: Well, I mean, it's not enough evidence. Yeah, she looks a little suspicious because she's actually in the know because of her roommate. She could literally be like, no, my roommate suggested it. And they they could say, well, let's talk to the roommate. Did you suggest this? Yeah, I'm a law student. It's the smart thing. It's the smart move, like literally. like That's obviously not how you're going to... Break the case uh, against her, but like just common sense.
0: Again, I just feel like they felt very pressured pressured, into finding someone guilty. Nels, in turn, started a lawsuit against the Crown of Ontario, the Ontario Attorney General, and the police for malicious persecution. She settled the lawsuit for $190,000. I think in the end, she wasn't able, there's one of the three that she wasn't able to actually pursue. Um, I think it may have been the attorney general because basically they have immunity against that. But she was still, its still settled in her favor.
1: She had a hard time finding work and reputation be tainted and tarnished.
0: She actually didn't though. She she still practiced as a nurse after this. Um, She kept her license through the whole thing and has spoken to groups of nurses about her experience. She was even awarded an honorary doctorate from Queen's University. And it seems like she went on to have a very good career. Wow. Even before she was charged, she like everyone spoke in her favor, saying that she was an excellent nurse, she was very good at her job. So I think, generally speaking, the people surrounding her didn't for a minute believe she had anything to do with it. According to the 2011 McLean's article, the Grange Inquiry cast suspicion on another nurse named Phyllis Trainer she would spend the rest of her life under suspicion until she died in 2011. She was never charged with anything due to a lack of evidence, but she was also present on the ward at the time that many of the children died. And it was also said that at one point she was seen injecting the IV of one of the babies who died and could never actually say what she had injected and it wasn't um, written in the guidelines of how they should be treating this baby to give him an injection. So a lot of people were very suspicious of her.
1: Well, I mean, it's as simple as not leaving a paper trail. So unless somebody's keeping um, a continual eye on the inventory, they're not going to know.
0: And if a doctor was with her and said, you know, you need to give this baby this at that certain time, and then, who knows, like three Up months later... the dosage later, or
1: something too, right?
0: And three months later somebody starts questioning her about what she'd done and you didn't write it down,
1: Yeah.
0: how do you necessarily remember that? I don't remember what I did half the day today. Especially when it's your work and it's kind of routine and you're not necessarily on autopilot, but it's just sort of automatic what you're doing.
1: There's a certain level of autopilot in every work. uh, That's true. In every occupation.
0: Many reports claim that these cases remain unsolved to this day, but do they really? Some experts argue that there actually is no case. There was nothing suspicious, and it wasn't a homicide, or it wasn't homicides. The baby's dying was a tragedy, to be sure, but there was nothing criminal about it.
1: I have a hard time believing that a 600% increase is coincidental.
0: Right, so how did so many babies end up dead if it wasn't a crime? Why did it go up all of a sudden and then stop all of a sudden? One of the big problems with the autopsies finding such a high level of digoxin in the babies is that at the time of the investigation, there was actually no test to determine the level of this drug in your system. So it was actually developed for these autopsies. And once they were developed, little was known about the effect of decomposition on the levels of that drug according to an article found on UPI.com by Graham Rockingham. The precision level of the test was completely unknown. All of this to say that so many babies were found with high levels of digoxin in their blood, but it's not actually known if the test that was being used was valid to determine that this was in their blood. Those results are pretty much worthless from a scientific point of view.
1: So when was this again? 1980s. Have they replicated the test since then?
0: Not that I know of.
1: Couldn't they just replicate the test?
0: Well, there's several questions that I have about why things weren't pursued. I don't know if they've just made the determination that it was this drug in the system. They were poisoned and were leaving it at that. Because from my understanding, they're still open cases. And the police were saying that they felt like they'd found the person responsible. So I feel like maybe it wasn't investigated more. And maybe it was and I just wasn't able to find the information there. There is a book written by a physician called Gavin Hamilton. It's called The Nurses Are Innocent. I wasn't able to get my hands on the book on short notice so that maybe that has more information. And the book is referenced in the McLean's article. He actually states that the cause of the baby's deaths was a chemical called MBT. And this chemical compound would have been found in IV lines and disposable plastic syringes that were being used more and more back in the 80s. Because many of these babies were already sick and weak, it wouldn't take much of the chemical to overwhelm their already fragile systems or send them into anaphylactic shock.
1: I mean, looking back 20, 30 years, like how poisonous has plastic been to like our systems, you know? Like... We still see warnings of BPA plastics and stuff. Well, how much worse was everything back in those days? Rubber tubing, silicone tubing, like everything was probably way worse than it is now.
0: And uh, in children, those things are often even more toxic.
1: Well, they're exaggerated because they're, yeah, like you said, their systems aren't developed yet or they're already compromised.
0: I think a lot of the syringes they were talking about were sort of single-use, already dosed with medication. Okay. And they had a three-year shelf life which would give that compound more than enough time to increase its amount in whatever you were injecting. just
1: leach into the medication, I suppose.
0: Exactly. According to the same article, um, the McLean's article, the test that they used to measure the digoxin levels in the babies was actually misreading the levels, and it was the chemical MBT that was being measured. Another thing that was brought up in that same article is that Charles Smith worked as a pathologist at Sick Kids at the time. If you remember the Dusty Bowers episode, we did talk about him briefly. He is a disgraced pathologist. He falsified many results, and many of the cases that he worked on were overturned. Apparently, it's kind of hard to trace whether or not he had a lot to do with the autopsies that were performed in the 80s, but he was working there in the children's hospital, so it's strongly believed that he did have something to do with the results. Well. Hmm. So a lot of things point towards the fact that maybe there was no crime that happened at all, and it was just a series of unfortunate events. There's no question that the number of infant deaths in the cardiac unit increased from June 1980 to March 1981. But as we mentioned, so did the use of one-time plastic syringes and IVs. So why would the deaths have stopped, though? I guess that's the big question. Yeah, because
1: like, did they stop using any of that material? Do they go to something more permanent? Um
0: And that was my big question, but I couldn't find any answers. So it does say in several articles that the unit the ward did change procedures that they were using. So I don't know if maybe they weren't keeping drugs as long or keeping these things as long and maybe changing them more quickly. One of the things that they were doing was keeping digoxin under lock and key. But again, maybe it was more in relation to other protocols that they changed at the same time.
1: Maybe things weren't pre-dosed. Maybe like an empty syringe doesn't break down without a medication in it or something.
0: Or at least it doesn't leach into the medication as much because it's not sitting in there. It's really hard to determine cause and effect when you know protocols were changed and the death stopped, but also that some of the nurses stopped working there.
1: Did they ever put the doctors off duty?
0: Not that I could find. I think they were pretty sure they found the guilty party. Uh, the other nurse that came under suspicion, I believe, stopped working after the inquiry. She was under suspicion for the rest of her life. So again, the death stops. It's really hard to determine exactly yeah, why. there's
1: happened. a few things that uh, would make it pretty tricky to pinpoint that are all coincidental at the same time.
0: Exactly. We might never end up knowing what happened in the hospital about 40 years ago. It does seem like the information is really clouded at this point, and without further research or further information, we won't really know what the culprit was. Was it a person or was it a faulty product? I can only imagine what all the parents of these children would have gone through after their kids passed away and then the deaths were all of a sudden deemed suspicious. I think it would if you've gone through the process of losing a child and then you have to relive that all over again when people come to you and say okay maybe there was a criminal act in this death
1: yeah like as it is you're gonna have to get over the loss of your child but then you're gonna have the what if like continual what if that you'll never get answers for
0: exactly and i honestly think it's probably one of those cases that at this point we won't conclusively solve
1: it doesn't sound it 600 percent, though my god
0: another thing there were weird things happening in the hospital i forget where i read it but somewhere they were saying that On another unit, babies had died like suspiciously and they looked into it and epinephrine had been or vitamin E had been replaced by epinephrine so like the wrong thing was being administered and this is also pointed out as like there's someone there's someone killing these babies someone did this on purpose but it was actually concluded to be just a mistake of how they were labeling products and they were mixed up really easily.
1: The first thing I thought of is that they're both E's, actually. As soon as you said that, I was like, "Eh, I never even thought of that. They're both E's, so eh."
0: So once they changed the way that the products were labeled, those deaths didn't reoccur. And I don't think it was like the 625% increase. It was much less. And then there's another nurse who said she found digoxin pills in her food one day when she was eating in the cafeteria. But to be completely honest to me, that sounds like I hate using this word, but it just sounds like maybe hysteria where they were just so scared of what was going on that they found something and that immediately became suspicious. Well,
1: they're looking for answers, right? Yeah. And they want to sort of put the person to blame, get everything back to normal, start looking after the kids again.
0: Well, everyone was probably scared for their jobs. They were probably scared to fall under suspicion, but they were also scared that someone was killing babies. I mean, if you thought that maybe you had worked side by side with someone who would have done that, I'm sure it would have the level of stress and anxiety would have skyrocketed. Yeah. So we'll finish up tonight with this week's moment of kindness. I had a fun occurrence happen to me the other day. I was running on a trail um, that used to be an old train track. It's a really nice spot, a wide trail full of walkers and cyclists and runners. As I was running, there was actually a cyclist coming up behind me. So you know how they ring the bell. Yeah. So the cyclist was coming up behind me and... Rang his bell, and usually they'll pass you just like a couple seconds later. But I heard the bell ringing, and no one passed me. No one else was on that um, stretch of the trail. Bell rang again. No one passed me. And then, like thirty seconds later, the bell rang, and then this older gentleman passed me, and he turned around and said, "You're running so fast, I couldn't even keep up with you. I didn't think I was going to be able to pass you." Which made me laugh pretty hard because he wasn't by any stretch of the imagination going fast. But in the same vein, I am neither a fast runner. So it was just a really lighthearted moment. And it was also nice that he took that moment to kind of be encouraging. It's what it felt like, just making light of it and having a laugh. Um, I think that compounded with the fact that it was my first 10K very slow 10K, but my first 10K in three years, Yeah, Um, it probably, because I was almost at the end of the run, so it made me feel really good, and I had a good laugh with it.
1: That is kind of funny, because I have a hard time keeping up with you, because you you really know how to pace yourself, and I don't, so I just want to run faster.
0: I know, you always pull ahead of me a little bit, Yeah, but then, it...
1: but then at the same time, I die and have to walk back, so <laughs> I mean, yeah, that must have been pretty...
0: It was just a nice moment.
1: I would have probably had a good laugh at that if I were you as well.
0: Yeah. Thanks to everyone who's been listening so far. If you like what you hear, please let us know. You can join our Crime and Mystery Canada Facebook group, and you can also reach us by email or Instagram at Crime and Mystery Canada. Our email address is CrimeAndMysteryCanada at gmail.com. As usual, I hope everyone is staying safe out there, and I hope that you all have a good
1: night. Good night.